This is Alan Johnson, pastor of Old Peachtree Presbyterian Church in Duluth, Georgia. The Bible is God's Word. It describes itself as living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Therefore, any encounter with the Bible is a momentous thing because it never leaves us unchanged. My prayer for you as you hear this message is that the Holy Spirit will use it in your life to inform your mind, to feed your soul, and to help you grow in your faith in Christ. Please turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. We are looking this morning at verses 20 through 26. We continue a series of studies in 2 Timothy this morning, looking at chapter 2, beginning in verse 20. Hear the word of God. Now, in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. We give thanks to the Lord for his holy, inerrant, and infallible word. Let's pray together. Oh God, as we study this passage this morning, we recognize it certainly as the writing of the Apostle Paul, but more than that, the word of God. And so God, we pray that you would take your word and bless it, Lord, to our salvation. Bless it to our growth in grace. Lord, that you would build your church through your word and through your word preached. This is our prayer, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Imagine that you came over to my house for a meal, and you noticed that as I was ladling soup into your bowl, that I was drawing the soup from an old, dirty mop bucket. Or imagine that you had come over to my house earlier when I was getting the house ready for your visit, and you saw me mopping the floors and putting the mop for more soapy water into a silver punch bowl. 
You would think things were certainly awry in the Johnson household. Notice I'm leaving Barbara out of this entirely. If I were in charge, things would be awry in the Johnson household, and you probably would politely pass on the soup. Well, that's something of the situation that Paul envisions here in this passage before us. Paul has been writing to his son in the faith, his protege Timothy, instructing him both as to the man he is to be in ministry, uh, as well as we've seen some in chapter 2, the method about uh, he is to employ as he goes about uh, his ministry uh, that uh, Paul is instructing him in. And we're thankful that Paul gives Timothy these instructions because they have been very instructive for those who've served as ministers, for those who have served as elders, those responsible for the structure and the organization and the governance of the church. But these pastoral epistles, First, Second Timothy, Titus, are not just for those who serve as elders, not just for those who lead in the church, they're for every Christian, both to know what the church is to look like and what those who lead in the church are to be, but also for each of our instruction and edification. And so while Paul writes to Timothy uh, with his leadership in mind, it's also true that these words speak to every Christian. Because all of us, in whatever capacity God might choose, want to be useful servants to our master. We want to be useful servants, effective instruments in the hands of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Paul begins by talking about the necessity of cleansing. That if we're going to serve the Lord, we want to be clean. We want to be honorable instruments for his use. He picks up in verse 20, and he says, Now in a great house, he envisions, I think, a large house. We might say even a wealthy home, uh, because he envisions there being implements of gold and silver. In a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some for honorable use some for dishonorable. Now, this this would be true in homes back then. This would be true in homes now. Uh, A mop bucket is not the same thing as a silver punch bowl. Uh, We use one for one purpose and the other for another. And Paul recognizes that, uh, that there would be vessels that they would use that would be for common use. Uh, certainly uh, even uh, beyond that, in a day uh, without uh, indoor plumbing and such, there would be vessels uh, that would be used for the most uncommon or maybe very common use uh, and, and disposed of. But there were also vessels of gold and silver. Now, why is Paul talking about this? Why is he suddenly talking about household vessels? And by the way, we, we read earlier in Romans 9, he speaks of vessels uh, honorable vessels, dishonorable vessels, and in the context of the Lord's election of choosing some for his mercy, others for his wrath. Well, here he's not using the term vessel, but he uses it in a different sense. Uh, in the context, he is using this metaphor to describe the church, the great house, and at least the visible church. And within this visible church, uh, there are vessels for honorable use, some for dishonorable. It seems that in the context, what he has in mind here are false teachers 
and true teachers. After all, that's what he's been writing to Timothy about in part, is how to uh, address the problem of false teachers and false teaching. And he's told Timothy not to have anything to do with that teaching or with those teachers. So the great house in the context seems to be the church in the world and the dishonorable vessels, those who teach falsehood, who live uh, in bad ways as opposed to the honorable that teach truth. Now, what he says to Timothy in verse 21 is, Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use. Timothy needs to make sure that he and those whom he influences uh, are cleansing themselves, as he says, from what is dishonorable, so that he will be a vessel for honorable use, sterling instrument in God's hand, in the house of God. Well, how do we go about this cleansing? Well, we need to recognize that we can understand this in both an absolute sense and in a relative sense. In an absolute sense... Uh, Timothy and everybody else needs the cleansing that only Christ can provide. Uh, there is no one who is righteous, the scriptures tell us, not even one. That every one of us, including Timothy, including Paul, including every person, needs the cleansing that comes only through repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Otherwise, we can't stand before God. We certainly can't serve God. We can't certainly can't do good for the kingdom of God. That's the, the, the admission into the kingdom is repentance and faith in Christ. And the cleansing, the washing that comes because Christ has died for our sins. And he's clothed us in his righteousness. If we've trusted in Christ, we are fundamentally and profoundly clean in Christ before the Father. We are therefore acceptable to the Father. Now, Paul assumes that here. He doesn't go into that here. He assumes that. But what he's really going into here is cleansing in this more relative sense. To be certain that both in doctrine and in life, we have cleansed ourselves. Doctrinally, uh, Paul has gone at great lengths, as we've seen, to encourage Timothy to be true to the apostolic teaching, to be true to what is doctrinally right, what is biblical, what is accurate about God and about people, and about Christ. He tells him to remain true to that pattern of teaching that he received from Paul, to guard it. And so cleansing himself doctrinally would mean that he's doing everything he can to be faithful to that apostolic tradition, that biblical teaching that was received by Paul uh, from Christ himself, from Christ to all the apostles and passed on. Uh, which is, for us, uh, the New Testament, the apostolic teaching, together with the Old Testament, the whole counsel of God. Now, if we're going to cleanse ourselves and be a vessel for honorable use in, in the, the house of God, we need to be certain, in so far as we are able, to make sure that we are doctrinally clean, that we're careful to learn from the Scriptures, first of all, of course, and, and from those who speak or write or teach, from the scriptures, like the Bereans, checking, not taking anyone's word simply for who he is, but always going back and asking, what do the scriptures say? Does this square with what the Bible teaches? So we need to be cleansing ourselves doctrinally. We need to be sure that what we think, what we 
talk about, what we teach, what we preach is faithful to the Scriptures. We also need to be careful to cleanse ourselves in life, not just in doctrine, but in life and in that order. Because doctrine influences how we live. How we think will affect how we live. And so when our doctrine is right, then it, if we're consistent, and none of us, until we're glorified, will be 100% consistent, but our doctrine will influence us to live in godly ways. For example, you know, Paul asks in Romans 6, shall we go on sinning that grace might increase? Well, if God's glorified in his grace and forgiving us, let's sin more. Because as he forgives us more, then he's glorified more, right? Wrong. Paul says, how, are you, how, how can you who have died to sin go on living in it anymore? So that's kind of a twisted way of thinking that leads to sin. So we need to make sure our doctrine is biblical and then to make sure flowing from that that our lives are biblical. And when Paul says to Timothy, if anyone, if anyone, not just you, Timothy, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be what? A vessel for honorable use. I don't know if you can take an old mop bucket and clean it up, clean it up enough to make it into a silver punch bowl, but you can take a believer in Christ and, and, and he or she working on cleansing doctrine, cleansing life can become, as Paul says, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use. Now, notice three things he mentions here. This great opportunity. Set apart as holy. The reason we read that passage about Aaron and his sons being consecrated, uh, they were being set apart. The blood being put on their earlobe and on their thumb and on their right big toe was a setting apart. It designated them as the priesthood. And we have ways of setting apart. When we ordain elders, for instance, they are ordained, uh, which means they, by the church, are recognized as called to that office, set apart to perform the functions of that Office, And we trust blessed by the Spirit of God to perform that office. But you see, as all Christians, all Christians should be set apart as holy to the Lord. We bear the name of Christ. We bear the sign of baptism. We all are set apart as holy to the Lord in that broader sense. So as we work at cleansing the vessel first in Christ, absolutely, and then in that relative sense, it's it sharpening our doctrine uh, seeking to conform our lives to the scriptures will be set apart as holy. And therefore, verse 21 says, useful to the master of the house. Some of you watch Thomas the Tank Engine. I used to watch Thomas the Tank Engine until my son now grew Thomas the Tank Engine. I still like Thomas the Tank Engine, though. Thomas the Tank Engine is what? A very what engine? A very useful engine. Thank you. Who said that? Was that you, Kevin? Good job. Thomas, was is, 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 his commendation is he is a very useful engine. Well, we should want that commendation for ourselves as believers. Paul says that when we do this, we will be useful to the master of the house. Can you think of any greater privilege than being a clean vessel set apart as holy for an honorable use, being useful to Christ? What an honor. What an opportunity. Ready for every good work. You see, to cleanse ourselves, to become a vessel that's honorable in doctrine and life, is to be ready. It's to be prepared to serve the Lord in whatever situation he might bring us. 
And so what a tremendous opportunity. Set apart as holy, useful to the master, ready for every good work. That's what I want in my life as a Christian. And I hope that's what you want in your life as well. And notice the opportunity is open. Again, verse 21, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable. First, absolutely in Christ. And then second, as we're sanctified, as we sharpen our doctrine biblically, sharpen our lives biblically by God's grace. So we see the necessity there of cleansing to become these vessels that are holy, set apart, ready for every good work, useful to the Lord. Now, what does that cleansing look like? Well, Paul goes into some particulars. Second, we want to look at the particulars of this cleansing because he does specify some things in particular to Timothy. Verse 22, uh, we want to be cleaning ourselves, preparing ourselves personally. And Paul here talks both in a negative sense and a positive sense. Negatively, he says, so flee youthful passions. The word flee there is the word that our word fugitive comes from. A fugitive is, is what? A fugitive is somebody who's on the run, maybe running from the law, hiding from the law. He's fleeing. He's running. Uh, well, that's what Paul says that we are to do in regard to youthful passions. Now, Timothy was younger. Paul refers to him as my son in the faith, and he was his convert, but he was also a younger man than Paul. Um, flee to, to run like Joseph when Potiphar's wife was attracted to him. Joseph simply runs. Flee, he says, youthful passions. Now, we can imagine what those might be. Some of those might be uh, youthful passions, might be in a physical sense. But it's bigger than that. It could be such things as selfish ambition. It could be such things as arrogance. It could be such things as an obstinate, unteachable spirit. Sometimes it takes some age, getting knocked about by life a little bit, to realize just how little we really do know. Um, and, and wisdom comes with that. And so when Paul says to Timothy, when he says to us, flee youthful passions, yes, those things that are of a physical nature, but also those things that are uh, more of a mental nature, or more having to do with attitude, or rather to be humble, to be willing to listen, to be willing to learn, to be teachable. Those are the kinds of things he's saying here. So, negatively, to flee, but also to pursue, verse 22, also, in his personal nature, to, to flee certain things, but also to pursue. And the word is just as vigorous. In fact, sometimes it's used in persecution. Remember Paul, pursuing Christians, persecuting Christians. Well, there's to be that same, that same single-minded focus, determination, going after righteousness. And faith and love and peace. Righteousness, of course, being Christ-likeness, our, our character conforming to, the, to what the Scriptures teach, to the Ten Commandments as a summary, for example. And not to be saved now, but because we are saved in Christ, we want to be like Christ. In faith, do we act trusting God? Do we step out believing that God will work, that He will use us, that He will uh, adopt us, own us as His instrument to accomplish good in this world? Trusting Him. When life gets difficult, so in righteousness and faith, in love, 
Reflecting God's love for us, reflecting Christ's love for us in our interactions toward one another, in our interactions toward the world around us, and also peace. Now, Paul almost seems to follow up talking about peace, uh, but as Christians, we are to pursue peace. Paul said, insofar as it depends on you, live at peace with all men. And so rather than pursuing sinful passions, to flee those things and to pursue, as he says, righteousness and faith and love and peace. So for Timothy, for us, in terms of our personal characteristics, there's something to flee there. And there's also those things that we are to pursue. But he also addresses his ministry. We might say his interactions with other people, not just he, uh, Timothy himself, but how he gets along with other people as he conducts his ministry. And the same would be true for us, those things that are personal to us, but also as we interact with other people. Sometimes that may be in a formal sense. Now, if you're a Sunday school teacher, you're leading a small group, whatever it might be, uh, a Bible study, uh, certainly preaching. But it may also be in a more casual, informal sense of a simple conversation of talking about what the scriptures teach with another person, maybe another believer, maybe not, maybe somebody who's very much opposed to the faith. Notice what he says about how we're to carry that out. Uh, again, here he says that there is a negative, verse 23, something to, to avoid, have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. So the negative here is not being a controversialist. The, the word could also be translated uh, speculation. Uh, Paul isn't saying we avoid all controversy. Paul himself could engage in controversy. After all, it was Paul who opposed Peter to his face. We read about it in Galatians chapter 2. You know, that's, that's some controversy to stand up to Peter and say, Peter, the way that you, uh, the way that you were behaving is wrong. So Paul isn't saying that we can't engage in debate, that we can't engage in what might seem to be controversy. But what he is saying is that we're not to pursue that. That's not to be our characteristic. We're not to be an argumentative, contentious person and perhaps combining the idea of controversy with speculation. Just just going on and on, debating people about ultimately what are matters of mere opinion. Speculative in their nature being known as someone who just argues, who uh, is engaged, as he says, in foolish, ignorant controversies. You know they only breed quarrels. You know people, even in Christians. It seems like you can't talk for five minutes before you find yourself in some sort of debate, some sort of fight, some sort of controversy. Well, there may be times to, to confront error or sin, to be sure. But uh, going back to what he said in verse 22, we are to pursue peace. And by the way, notice, going back to 22, that that's to be done in community, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Uh, that's to be taken up uh, together with other believers of whom that applies. So again, the negative, but now the positive. Verse 24, the Lord's, the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but, here's the positive, kind to everyone able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. So rather than just being a, a controversialist, this polemicist, always 
seeking out debate and argument. Uh, rather, he says, we should be kind. There should be a kindness and certainly an ability to teach. Now, Paul's already said in 1 Timothy 3, that's to be characteristic of an elder in the church. He should be able or apt to teach, which means he has to understand doctrine and, and, and scriptural teaching, and he has to have the ability to communicate that to others. That's not a requirement to be a Christian. It's a requirement to be an elder. But it's certainly desirable for every Christian that you know what you believe, you know what the Bible teaches, and you are able to communicate that clearly to another person. Every Christian should be working at that. It's mandatory for elders, but it's certainly desirable for every Christian. Peter said to be able to give an answer to everyone who asks you the reason for the hope that is in you. And so there wants, we need to have this demeanor of kindness to everyone, an ability to teach, desirable, patiently enduring evil. That evil may look like misunderstanding. It may look like slander, rejection, correcting his opponents with gentleness. So even when he is talking to someone who opposes him, his demeanor, his tone is not that of the pugilist, not that of the fighter, not harsh, but still gentle, still kind, still patient. Now, what is the goal of that? Is it to win an argument? No. We've looked at the necessity of cleansing, the particulars of it here in, the, this, in these middle verses, and then finally the last couple of verses, the goal of this cleansing. What are we about here? Why do we want to be a vessel in the Lord's hands that's for honorable use, that's, uh, that's, that's able to be useful to the Master? Well, verses 25 and 26 tell us the goal. One, the first part, verse 25, the end of the verse, God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth. The goal is that those we talk to would repent, and the the particular expression of that repentance is that they acknowledge the truth. Those two go together. They're not separated. A repentance that leads to a knowledge of the truth. That's our desire. It's not ultimately to win an argument. It's not ultimately to look good. It's certainly not ultimately to crush someone else. Victory. But the goal is that they might come to repentance. And it's a much more likely approach, as Paul says here, uh, that they would be drawn to Christ if they find from us kindness and gentleness and patience and not harshness and attacks and uh, a brutal approach. And so the goal is that they might be led to repentance, that God would grant them repentance. Notice we can't do that. We pray that God would use us and work through us, but ultimately it's God who grants them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. They acknowledge what the Scriptures teach themselves. And then the second part of that, verse 26, that they may escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. It's interesting, Paul uses that expression. Uh, he already has used it back in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 7, where he describes the qualifications for elders. Uh, moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Well, that expression occurs again here in 2 Timothy 2, 
verse 26, that they may escape from the snare of the devil. The word escape has to do with the idea of, of coming to your senses, of waking up. Because you see, we need to recognize that those people who teach false doctrine, those people who oppose Christ and oppose his church, are in, they're, they're in a delusion. They are under the snare of the devil. Uh, they are captured by the devil to do his will. So were you and I, apart from the grace of God. Which certainly tends to encourage a certain kindness and gentleness and patience with those who are under that spell of the evil one. Because you see, they're not the enemy. Satan is. They are under his power. They have been ensnared by him. They need to be brought from darkness to light, just as God brought you from darkness to light. Uh, That God would grant them repentance, that they may escape the snare of the devil. You see, that's the goal. That's the desire, is that God would use us to bring people from death to life, from Satan to Christ, from bondage to freedom. That's the goal. That's why we cleanse ourselves, prepare to be an instrument for honorable use, that God could use us to accomplish through us the salvation of others. What a magnificent thing to think that God would use you to change someone else's eternal destiny. But you see, he's not going to use a a dirty old mop bucket to do it. We need to cleanse ourselves from what is dishonorable, to be a vessel for honorable use. The um, early 19th century Scottish Presbyterian minister, Robert Murray McShane, once wrote in a letter, a holy minister is an awful weapon in the hand of God. Awful in the old sense, we would probably say awesome today, awesome, but awful. A holy minister is an awful weapon in the hand of God. He's right. But we can broaden that to say that a holy Christian is an awful, an awesome weapon in the hand of God. I want that. I hope that you want that, to be that awesome weapon in the hand of God. So that, as Paul says, we would be set apart as holy. So that we would be useful to the master of the house. So that we would be ready for every good work. May God in his grace make it so. Let's pray. Father, forgive our sins. Forgive us for how inconsistent we can be. Forgive us, Lord, for our weakness. But, Lord, we pray that by your grace in Christ Jesus, as we stand before you, holy in him, that you would sanctify us. And, Lord, that we would use all the means of grace that you've given to us to cleanse ourselves from everything dishonorable. Lord, make us a vessel for honorable use. Make us, Lord, those awesome weapons in your hand that you can use not to kill, but to give life. We pray that you would do it through us. We ask it in Jesus' name, for his glory. Amen.